Hey guys, Barry from the Game Changers here uh, on this special interview with Darren Urbanski. Urbanski? Urbanski. Urbanski. Uh, for the comeback game, Inspired and Unstoppable. So uh, I was at a workshop the last couple of days and uh, had the privilege of, of learning from this fine man and noticed that uh, there was a lot of authenticity around the way that he presented and there was a lot of uh, you know, genuineness in, in what he shared with people and I believe that, that he's on a massive mission, mission to generally help 200 people become millionaires, right? And so I, I seized the opportunity and thought, well, what better, better person to interview right now than to ask you along and, and, and find a bit more about you and obviously, you know, the experience that you've had in life, where you've come from and, and, and what has it taken to get to where you are now, mm. you know? And how can we or how can, how can all of us support you better on your mission to, mm. to help change 200 people? And something that really resonated with me was um, you said that, you know, a lot of people's lives will be changed through the work that you're doing. Right. And you might not even know who they are. They might not even know who you are. Mm -hmm. And this is the power, I, I suppose, this is the power of leverage, this is the power of, of consciousness. So, look, for the, for the viewers out there and the listeners out there, tell us a bit about you. Like, who are you? Sure. Well, I'm Daryl Urbanski, Canadian. Um, it's funny because what you just asked, who are you, is part of what led me on this journey. I mean, it's, I'm going to be quoting Kanye West, which, depending who you are, that's good or bad, but he's got a song that says, everything I'm not made me everything I am. Mm. And I feel like, I mean, all the dots connect when you look backwards, but I feel that's really contributed to the journey I've been on. I mean, for all of us. So I was an orphan uh, as a child, um, adopted into a family. My adopted dad died right before my second birthday. They adopted me about eight months. He had lung cancer. They thought the chemotherapy cured him, you know, but he was sterile. But hey, let's carry on with our, you know, dream of having a family. We adopt this little boy and, uh, and then dad passed away and it's just me and mom, you know. So that journey, like that instability and security and then even growing up, I kind of left my hometown. How old were you back then? Eight months when I was adopted. Wow. And then two years, right before my second birthday is when he passed. And so we moved from Edmonton back to Toronto and, you know, grew up with mom and stuff. I'm not sure what parts I'll relate, but that all like that leads, they say the years before five last the rest of your life. Yeah. So I tended to move around a lot. And when you move a lot, especially before the internet, you had to find work, you know, find things to do. And so anyways, it was a big journey most a lot of my life and just figure out who I was. Traveled the world, I speak mm. three languages, you know, a lot of it was just was, what, what is this place, you know? Mm. Um, so that's, you know, that's part of it. A big influence on my life was this program Katimovic I did. So I lived in a town called Kingston, Ontario, which used to be the penitentiary capital of Canada. And growing up, there were kind of different communities and the community that I was involved with, I didn't know if I'd see my 21st birthday. Uh, that's a real thing. Wow. And I, uh, this group came through and they talked about this journey, this government program where you get to travel with 10 other kids and half guys, half girls, and you go around Canada for nine months and you do volunteer work and stuff. And I was like, I need to find a way out. Like, I'm not going where I want my life to go here. Mm -hmm. And I applied for that program and I got in. Apparently there was a shortage of guys. So uh, guys were almost guaranteed to get in because women were like, yeah, let's do that. But guys, I guess, aren't is that going? I don't know. So I went in, I went to BC, Alberta and Quebec and I lived with, uh, there was 10, one girl went home. So nine of us, uh, and it was nine months and it totally changed my life because in that, I mean, you work a full-time job Monday to Friday and then on the weekends, like even evenings and weekends, you all 10 of you are instantly signed up to be volunteers and whatever happens in the community. It's a great Canadian program that literally just got shut down maybe a year ago, which is really unfortunate. But for my life in some ways it was before and after because before that I was really like angry and confused and misdirected and just not sure what's going on and this family's not really my family and I got a stepdad now and him and my mom have their own kid and it was just I didn't even know I was adopted till I was 12 but I knew something was up 
But that program kept giving me focus because I got to uh, every three months, we lived in BC, Alberta, and Quebec, three months each, and you would live with a local family for two weeks on your own, like they found a billet for you. And so through that, I got to see how three different families lived. And I could see the dynamics between the parents and the kids, and even in the jobs that we had, the different things that we did. I kind of, all of a sudden, because like, teenagers all want to be treated like adults, and now I'm like, oh, I'm an adult, I got a job, I got to go show up. Oh, geez, you know, I got responsibilities after work. And, um, you know, we did soup kitchens, we built floats for parades, uh, you know, and so I came out of that with so much life experience afterwards. I just really realized, uh, something we talked about yesterday, but just that a lot of people are just their own biggest limiting factor. Yeah. You know, it's so, like, so, so tell me on that, like, you know, we do a lot of, a lot of stuff around human behavior and, and understanding how uh, experiences that we have both, you know, not just from birth to age seven, but pre-birth too, like experiences within mother's mm -hmm. womb and how receptive we are to the energies and the experiences, how that does affect and does shape our upbringing. Now, you know, I could only imagine someone who, you know, it's, it's all you've ever known, right? But mm -hmm. someone who at eight months old, whether you're were knowing or not knowing, you were knowing that something was going on, do you mm. know what I mean? To have been adopted out and then only a short period of time later having your adopted father die. Mm. I could only imagine how that may have shaped life moving mm. forwards. And how do you think, like like everything I believe has some form of effect on our life, mm. right? Now, whether you want to say that it's a good or a bad or a positive or a negative, it's really what you choose to mm. see it as, right. right? But how do you think that that has really impacted your life and 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 the experiences that you have had right. and the journey that you've been on through having that happen at such a young age? Right, so it's a great question and something, it's funny, uh, I can't remember his name, he teaches like love yourself, I'm having a brain fart on his name, uh, great guy, but I remember I talked with him and he's he's like a big guru, guru thought leader and I remember I sat down with him one day and we was talking about maybe being clients and I mentioned I had been an orphan, he was like, oh, Oh, because he's like, in all my stuff, I talk about the orphaned heart. Mm. He talks about, because orphans often develop gifts. Because for them, like, if you're born into a family, you just belong. Because mm. you belong. You know, so there's, like, we're social creatures, but there's different types of social creatures. There's mm. gazelles and there's wolves. And for wolves, if a bear attacks one wolf, all the wolves jump in on it together, right? They're in mm. to ride or die. But gazelles, if a cheetah jumps out, the gazelles all scatter and it's everyone for themselves. themselves yeah. And when you grow up with a family unit, one thing that um, that you become very keenly aware of is if your family, whether it's a healthy family or dysfunctional, whether your family are wolves or gazelles. But when you're an orphan, depending on the uh, situation that you grew up in, you don't know, like, it's almost like you don't develop the instinct to know what type of group you're in. Mm. So it can be very confusing because you can always trust people like wolves, but then they act like gazelles, and then you trust treat people like gazelles, but they yeah. would have been like wolves. So in that part, it can be really confusing. So what a lot of orphans do is they tend to develop gifts mm. because that's their rite of passage. You don't belong to the group because you belong. You have group. to like, you know what I mean? Like but you have to create your sense of belongings <laughs> to to something. Right. If you've ever been like the surrogate brother or sister when you go visit a family, you know, and like, hey, you're the honorary son. You know, if you got up and took a big dump on the dinner table, right, that you would be asked to leave. Mm. That it's all fun and games, but at the end of the day, if you really made a big mistake, there's a high risk that they would ask you to go. But yeah. you can't change your mom from being your mom. Yeah. And so anyone that's been gone, gone through that, or even if they've been maybe been in foster care, they're very keenly and acutely aware of that, that I'm here on the good graces that people like want this from me yeah. or something like that. Yeah. So that's part of what develops, uh, again, most orphans develop some sort of gift that allows them in the workplace or in homes or relationships or whatever um, to survive. And yeah. so the other part was that 
didn't have a strong sense of roots, which was a real blessing in some ways because it allowed me to go to Japan for three years, learn to speak Japanese, go to Quebec, speak French, you know, allowed me to travel around. Whereas on the flip side, my younger step adopted brother, so my stepfather uh, and my adopted mom had a, had, a, had a boy, my brother, eight years between us. He's had the same mom and dad, same group of friends, same house, grew up in all that mm -hmm. sort of stable stuff. He left Canada for the first time two months ago. He's 26 years old, 27 years old. You know, he went to Thailand. Before that, he'd been to the U.S. maybe twice, and both was like for a tournament, like hop on a plane, go and hop back. Meanwhile, I've like hitchhiked across Canada six times, Thailand, Africa, like Kenya, Uganda, uh, New Zealand, Australia, Japan, mm -hmm. Philippines, all over the U.S., all these major cities, you know, because of that ability to kind of float. So again, it's the whole everything you're not makes you everything yeah. you are, you know. It's interesting, two things that I want to say, like the first of all, um, yeah, I haven't known you for a long time, but I get a, a really good read on people very, very quickly. And one thing I notice is, is for someone who has had an experience like that, you have such a servant's heart. Hmm. You know, like it'd, very, it'd be very easy for you to be a selfish prick, hmm. you know, and be all about yourself growing up in an environment where you kind of had to fend for yourself, like it was survival, hmm. like it was you or, you or die, essentially. Hmm. The other thing too, and this might be a bit personal, so it's okay if you don't answer it, but one of my mentors taught me a long time ago that the experiences that we learn to survive become the experiences that our continued survival depends upon, right? Mm. And so when we've learned to survive an experience in a family, let's just say that we get hit on the head with a hammer, mm. right? And we get hit on the head with a hammer every day of our life. And then 18 years old, you know, we turn 18 and we, and we time to move out of home and 24 hours goes by and we don't get hit on the head with a hammer. Now, consciously, we know that getting hit on the head with a hammer is it's probably bad. not the smartest right. thing to be done, right? But unconsciously, we've learned that that's survivable. But right. what we haven't learned is not getting hit on the head with a hammer. Right. Not getting hit on the hammer to our creature neurology or to our reptilian brain is potentially unsurvivable. Right. And so the next thing we know, 24 hours later, we kind of end up finding ourselves in the hardware store, hanging around the hammer section, right, right, right? right. unconsciously looking for that same kind of hit. Yeah. Now, coming back to you, like learning to survive an experience of almost kind of being abandoned in, in many ways, right? How has that potentially played out in, in other areas of your life moving forward? It's like obviously you mentioned you travel around a lot, but I can imagine looking back, there's been kind of pattern yeah. that's gone through that. And where I see a lot of people struggle in life is they allow those patterns to dominate them or to rule them mm -hmm. or to, to keep them stuck in an experience or to create a sense of blame or entitlement for why they're experiencing what they are. But you know, you, you strike me as someone that's very inspired, you've got a lot of success you know, behind you, but also present right now in your life. Like how has that survival experience maybe been a bit of a downfall, but at the same time, how has it been a massive benefit to where, to where you're at right now? Right, right. Yeah, so that's a great question. That's, I have no, might as well be transparent. 5,000 years, any vulnerability I shared isn't gonna matter, so I'll share whatever. Um, but just trying to think, like a real answer to that, it's, it is, it's, I mean, I, I have an inclination, I get itchy feet like every eight to 16 months. Yeah. So that's always been an inclination, which I think is because when my mom, after my, adopted father passed my mom met her new husband now his work was sending him all over and that's mm. part of where I got to travel a lot so I think that's part of it as well but I also think it causes um, I just want to uh, it creates a sense of needing to be a high achiever mm. for that rite of passage yeah and so I think that's one thing that's been good and bad yeah like uh, there's something to be said for enjoying and celebrating success and the fruits of your labor yeah so that's something that I've learned um, I think I was really needy, like even in my in my twenties. I got a dog now, and ever since I just ever since I got that dog, I found like I've. It's almost like there's been a uh, a deeper sense of 
calmness in my Realness, life that yeah. wasn't there. It's funny, I met my biological mom for the first time, I'm 34 now, I met my biological mom for the first time last November, and after I met her, or I should say, after I had the first Skype call, phone call with her, we talked for three hours, and you know that feeling you get when like, you lose your car keys, and you're walking around, and like, you're just like, oh, like, I just had it, and you have that like, knot in your stomach? After I talked to my mom, I'm 34 years old, I hang up Skype, and I sit back, and it was like, it was just like this knot that I had, didn't even know was there yeah. my entire life was just, because all of a sudden so many questions were answered. But uh, getting back to the point, the, the, the moving, the sense of high achievement, um, stability and security, but in a weird in way. In a different way, yeah. Yeah, in the way that um, it's almost like some people, it's, all, it, it's almost like some people think having a lot of money in the bank account will matter. Yeah. When I was at a young age, I knew I was like, I need to get really skilled. When I maybe because now that we're older guys, we know like our bodies, you know, we gotta keep them going, and you know, it, it would be tough for us to like. I had a martial arts school at one point, and the part of why I left that is I realized that I can't do this until I'm 80. You know what I mean? Like my body's not gonna last. There's a lifetime. There's a lifeline or a deadline on how long I can do this. So it's like trying to get to the essence of what really matters. Yeah in all capacities. And yeah. then um, just trying to be really smart in skill sets. I mean, that's why I'm into marketing and sales. Yeah. You know, I need to make sure that I can put food on the table. Yeah. You know, and, and, and so let's talk about that for a second. You've had quite some success in your life. So you worked for a while there for John Azareth. Mm -hmm. um, obviously one of his senior marketing consultants. Um, you, you built a funnel that generated 100K a, a week, I believe, which mm -hmm. was very, very successful. Um, when was the point in life? Like, what was the defining moment? When was it that you met a mentor or a teacher or a coach or somebody that created a significant impact in your life that, that kind of seen you uh, you know go from the experience that you had to start to really take control of life really start to move towards what it is that you'd like right so there's been a couple of different mentors in that respect and so it almost depends on what area of yeah. life what's been the one that's been the biggest impact there's always usually one that's like man you know that was it that that one well I don't know, this is kind of a taboo topic in a lot of circles, but... Uh, Let's go there, come yeah, on. But lately, I mean, since 2013, it's been, it's been around death. Yeah. Because everybody, it's really easy to have a role model for success and fitness, right? The nice lifestyle, the, the car, the material stuff, or the, the luxury of time, freedom, all that stuff. And then, if, you know, health, oh, he's got muscles or whatever, good skin, all that stuff. It's easy to know that. But nobody really thinks about when they pass. And having not had roots... That, when I lived in Japan, I lived in Japan for three years, I had like a surrogate Japanese family. And we went to grandma's house once, in uh, a rural, anyways, a rural part of Japan, and the house had been built on by three generations. And if you go into the oldest part of the house, they have a gold shrine there, where it's for, like for the ancestors, they're big on that, they like light a candle or incense for their ancestors every morning. And they have this gold shrine, and if you go and look in the gold shrine, and you look on the left, there's a scroll. And the scroll starts at like 1812. And there's like a list of names. It might even be earlier than that. I think it might have been like 1628 was the earliest. It's been so long now. I have to check the picture I took. But it was, it was hundreds of years. Name, year, year. Name, year, year. Name, year, year. And that's when I was like, that's what I'm missing. Like, you think you have an identity as you, but you also have an identity, identity as your brothers and sisters and your cousins and uncles. And then to see a list of hundreds of people. Do you know what I mean? Or for over hundreds of years, not hundreds of people, but over hundreds of years. I'm like, that's like what it represents to be a bloodline. So I was working in San Diego with John Asraf. That ran his course, we did really well, went on, took on some other clients. I was having great success as well, or, or I was happy with it. 
And then I went back to visit family for Christmas. I couldn't get back into the US. And I was hanging around my parents' house for a few months yeah. while trying to sort out the immigration issues. And our, their neighbor, who I'd known since I was probably around 12, um, he had been battling leukemia for a number of years. And he had had five kids, and I grew up with those kids and we played together. So I would go over and visit him. Like, I'm just hanging out, you know, whatever, go by. Um, and one day I went to go visit him, and I took him his favorite drink, which was coffee, two cream, no sugar, Tim Hortons. And I sit down, and Doug wasn't really talking much that day. He had a bed in the, in the, in the living room. And I just kind of hung out for a bit, chatted with everyone, and then I went home. And 15 minutes later, there was a knock on the door. And it was one of the neighbors going, hey, Daryl, Doug, Doug's passed. It happened. It finally happened. Seven years and a day, the day before Valentine's Day was the day that he went. And um, I go back, and I'm in this room with Doug, and his five kids are there, and all of his kids, except for all of his kids have at least one child. And uh, his pastor was there, and his pastor's wife was there, and his wife's by his bed holding his hand. And Doug, he's there, and he's pink, and then he goes, turns white, and then he turns yellow while we're all sitting there talking. And, you know, sometimes people are, like, laughing and crying, random, you know. And I'm sitting there, and I'm just kind of, like, soaking this moment in, and I look around the walls, and I see, like, letters that he got, because people he kept in touch with from the cancer ward, and all these pictures from his grandkids, like, we love you, Grandpa, get well soon, Bumpa, we miss you, and pictures of him with, like, at his ball games with his grandkids and stuff. And I'm like, like this is it. This is as glamorous and as good as it gets. Mm. You know, like, there's people that maybe get touted down the street with, like, crowds of people and stuff, but I don't know if there's an intimate relationship that way. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, that's like that's it. I mean, your option is that or alone in a hospital bed on yeah. your own. And and prior to that, I'd I'd heard of I've had a conversation with a friend who'd been in a mastermind group, and they had a meeting in Cuba, and two guys, older gentlemen, came there and they were celebrating the success of their business, sold it for like twenty five million or something. And after the mastermind, one of them went home to his wife and kids. The other one hung out in Cuba and hung himself two weeks later even though he just made a couple of million dollars because he was the patriarch of his family, so he'd outlived his brothers, his sisters, his parents. His wife had left him, he had no kids, and he spent 20, 25 years building this business, which was now sold. And so he's like, like what, what am I gonna do? What, like money in itself, like when I was in Japan, I was making a hundred something dollars an hour, and when you're in early, 20, early 20s, that was great money. Mm. But at some point, I didn't like what I was doing, and the money mm. just wasn't enough. So when that happened with Doug, it really caused me to re-identify my priorities. In fact, everyone listening, thank you for paying attention this long. It's kind of about me, 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 me. But I have something for you that I think would be really, really valuable to do. And I encourage you to spend the 15 minutes, 20 minutes it take. It can be a life-changing exercise, and I am so serious about that. So one of the things that was really impacting me and actually something I do with a lot of clients when I start working with them is we make three lists, and I give them two minutes to do each list. So it's like six, 12 minutes. The first list is, your bucket list. What are all the things you want to do in your life? Naughty or nice, doesn't matter. You know, do you want to make a million dollars? Do you want to shake hands with a, a celebrity? Do you want to have an orgy? Do you want to climb Mount Everest? It doesn't matter, it's your life. What are your bucket list items? And then the second list that you make is how do you want to spend your life and time mm. the next three to five years? What do you want to be doing? Do you want to be sitting around with good people? Mm. One of my things is I want to be surrounded by uh, Phenomenal people, world-class expert, or phenomenal people who are world-class at what they do, and also people of phenomenal character. Mm. It's one of my things. So, how do you want to spend your time for three to five years? And that's like, what, you know, day to day. I want to spend it laughing, stretching. I want to spend it near in nature, you know, with family. I want to spend it, you know, working on this. And then the last list is you have to sit down, and you kind of need to like lie to yourself and make yourself believe it. But your doctor has just told you that you have six months to live. Mm. 
and you were gonna drop in six months and there's nothing you can do about it. What do you need to do in six months? And you make that list. So you take this, and this is like six, 10 minutes to do. Please, I'm gonna beg you for your own sake, please do take the time to do this exercise. It is extremely powerful, because once you make those three lists, the next thing that you do is you prioritize each list individually. So you take the first list and you organize them most important to least important. Second list, most important, least important, most important. And then you take the top three items from each list. Three, six, nine. And you put those nine things on a separate piece of paper and you wrap them in like a paragraph or two, almost like a personal mission statement for the next six months or year of your life. You know, and that's what causes you, like where your direction, that's, and I do this every year on New Year's. I do it sometimes if I just feel lost. I've done it times where I'm like getting up to go to work and I'm like, why am I doing this? Like, you know, I'm not really feeling like working today. I'll either look at it, I set a reminder on my phone so it pops up like morning, afternoon, and at night. And uh, I just, that's been a really powerful thing for me. And yeah. so Doug's death really impacted me. He was just a simple guy. Like he worked at a DuPont factory, you know, probably got cancer from even the chemicals Thanks, he worked yeah. with, you know, who knows. <laughs> you know, just had five kids. They were kind of the poor house on the street because he had so many kids, mm. you know. But again, a death. And uh, I think, who was it you? No, it wasn't you. It was somebody else that was asking me about something. I was like, I want it all. Like, I want it all. I want the good life. I want the, the fame, the fortune. Well, I don't necessarily want fame, but I do want the fortune. You know, I want the health. I want to, I just have a personal goal to live to be 300. So that was a big one. John was a big one too, working for John, just because I'd already had success with uh, like my martial arts school and I'd had success helping my friends around me grow their businesses. But John, everything was the exact same. There's just two extra zeros attached. Because it was funny you mentioned yesterday too, and this is, you know, I have a very similar story, um, but you mentioned yesterday like you had a goal to, to make a million bucks. Right. Uh, before your, was it 30th birthday? Yeah, it was 31st. 31st birthday. And, uh, you know, you, you, you're a bit bummed because coming up to a few days before your 31st, you're like, shit, like I didn't, I didn't, 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 didn't get there, didn't yeah. get there. And then what you actually realize is when you looked at what the sales had done through the work you'd done for John, you realized that you were like this close to actually raping in a million bucks for him. Right. And what you realize is that when you asked for something, you weren't specific Spe enough yeah. to I ask for it for yourself. Yeah. You wanted to make a million bucks, which you'd actually did. Which you did. Close to, close to doing, but you hadn't actually specified, I wanted to make a million dollars personally. Personally, that's right, yeah. yeah. And so you, you need to be careful what you ask for, That's right, because right, you'll get it. That's what they say. But you know, I'm, I'm a huge fan of Alan Watts, so I've studied, if I had to pick so, a religion, I would pick Taoism. I mean, I grew up with Catholics and Christians, and I've had friends who were Jewish, and I had a, a Muslim girlfriend for six years, and I lived with them when I was in Africa, and I lived in Japan, where I, I learned how to play the shakuhachi, which is a Zen flute, and I, you know, I have friends who are Buddhists, and I've been to all sorts of different temples, and I've read a lot of Eastern philosophy and that. And I just love Alan Watts. I feel like he's figured it all out, and one of the things, he, he has this great... Uh, he's two great talks, but one of them I love is the dream of yeah, life. Yeah. And he talks about like, imagine that you could dream, you watching this right now. Imagine every night you went to sleep, you dreamt 75 years of life or however many years you wanted. And you know, and you had full control over what you would have in that dream. And in the beginning, you would dream of having a life of all the pleasures you could have. It'd be the most lavish thing you could exist. And you might do that for months on end, but eventually you would grow tired. Yeah. And you would want a change. You would be like over. You would be like overstimulated or desensitized to all that pleasure. And you'd want some adversity. And then you know, and you'd get riskier and riskier. You'd want closer calls and races. Where oh my gosh, I almost you know nothing is exhilarating as getting shot at without without injury. You know, like and getting away. So you more and more gambles until one day you would say, I'm going to go to sleep tonight and I want to have a dream, and not know that I'm dreaming. 
mm. and then wake up. And I think that's a really powerful way to live your life mm. because we only have, well, we only know that we have one. There's, we don't know what's happening after. So follow the morals of whatever your philosophy is and beliefs that'll give you the afterlife you want. But I mean, it's almost like I went to Universal Studios a couple days before, well, the day before we came here and we bought an express pass, my girlfriend and I, to go on all the big rides and not have to wait at all. And because I paid that money and I knew that the time was ending and we were leaving there at five o'clock, I was like, I need to get my money's worth. Yeah. Most people don't do that with their life. Yeah. There is a clock ticking. And so you got to get up and get out there and, and make it happen. And it's the same with anything like I've noticed <coughs> in business is that people are most willing to, 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 to hustle and go hard when their back's up against the wall. Right. You know, um, they're, they're not willing to do it consistently. And that's where I see a lot of people fall down is it's not the consistency in showing up in their business, showing up in their life, asking themselves the powerful questions. Why am I doing what I'm doing? Yeah. Is this the best use of my time right now? Yeah. Is this what I'm enjoying? Yeah. You know, could someone else be doing this? And so you're right, like consistency is so important. Yeah. Look, we're, we're nearly out of time. We could talk for hours. I feel that there's, there's many uh, synergies and a lot, of, a lot of things we'd explore. But what I'd love, uh, you know, to, to, to leave the viewers and the listeners out there, like what would be your biggest or, or your best piece of advice for anyone out there watching it that, you know, maybe going through some adversity or maybe stuck in a few challenges in life and really wanted to succeed in their business or wanted to succeed in their life? Like what would you, what would you share with them? Sure. So my tip would be, to surround yourself with people who are trying to accomplish the same thing you want to accomplish. And then also treat your 24 hour day like gold. And what I mean by that is I plan every day as best I can, not always consistently, but as best as I can in 30 minute blocks from yeah. when I wake up to when I go to sleep. And I try, I have a daily checklist of things I try to do every day. Um, and it's, I would, the person I want to become would do these things every day. Yeah. So I'm going to do them. And so the same thing for the listener, for whoever's watching this, your 24 hours, that's all you have. That's all you have. And there's no difference between you and your role models and people who are where you want to be. The only difference is in how you use them. So that 24 hour day, like if you, again, if you were stuck in a groundhog day where you woke up and did the same thing every day over and over and over again, what would that day look like? And I would say, find a way to get comfortable with that. If you're worried about finances, just get to roof and ramen. That's what my buddy used to call it. Just roof and some just cheap noodles and hot water so I can eat, you know? Try and get a couple of months of savings. Stop living paycheck to paycheck. Yeah. So you've got a buffer, but really just get that 24 hour day, include all your favorite things and do that list of three extra, the, the three list exercise and use that and think and read it every morning at least. And I think that if you did that, you know, you took control of your 24 hour day and lived with intent and you went through those three lists and all of a sudden had like a North star for your life and what was really meaningful for you to accomplish. And you surround yourself with people that want to accomplish something similar. You know, you might be going through your phase now, but the worst thing that could happen is you'll die. But guess what? We're all going to die anyway. anyway. So it's, yeah. it's like a video game. You can't win. So we, you know, like just do it and just try not to burn too many bridges. You know, awesome. Yeah. Awesome. So. Mate, thank you so much. Really thank appreciate you. your time. Of course. Um, for the guys out there, make sure you like, uh, follow, and share the comeback game with your friends. Uh, if you know someone who you think might get great benefit out of uh, what's been shared today, be sure to tag them in. Uh, like, comment, look forward to seeing you guys next episode. Thank you very much. Thank you. It's an honor and a pleasure. Awesome.